0: at times it's nice to, you know, root yourself back down and, and just kind of remember like, why did I get into this? Why did I get started? And, uh, that's kind of something that, that I've had to think about recently. Um, if you want to be in for the long haul, you know, you, you got to have other external motivators to do it than just simply, Oh, I want to get a 500 pound squat, you know, cause what happens when that day comes or what happens if that day never comes, you know?
1: Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your guest host, Jake Boley, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Joey Zabmeri is a multi sports strength athlete. He's a strength coach and he owns the Lions Den Elite Training Gym in Pennsylvania. Throughout his career, Zatmary has worked with a variety of athletes and constantly shares his knowledge and experiences on his quickly growing YouTube channel. In today's episode, I talked to Zatmary about opening his own gym, training different strength athletes, and how their training differs. This is a great episode for athletes and coaches that want to explore different strength sports throughout their careers. As always, we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend Podcast in your app of choice. Every month, we give away a box full of Barbend swag to one of our listeners who leaves a rating and review. All right, welcome to the Barbend Podcast. Today, we are joined by Joey Zatmeri, who is a strength coach, strongman, and gym owner. Thanks for coming on, Joey. We're stoked to have you. Hell yeah, pumped to be on. Let's do it. So you're big into strongman training and the strongman game. I got to know who is your favorite professional strongman right now. Uh,
0: I was just asked this question on uh, was it Omar Omar's podcast with Eric Helms, and the, the weird thing about me, dude, is I've been an athlete my whole life, and for some reason I never really like get into. Like athletes, like I just play the game, you know what I mean. But I think people are really cool. Uh, I'm from uh, the U.S., so I would really be rooting for uh, Brian Shaw. I think he's a good guy, um, and I would actually really like to meet Thor. Uh, I have some some connections that know him, and I think it would just be cool to make the trip to Iceland. But I think uh, I'd have to go with Brian
1: Shaw right now overall. Love it. So he just actually said he was going to be competing in Santa Monica coming up. It's going to be really interesting to see how he does. Do you think yeah do you think Shaw is, able, is going to be able to turn his 2020 around compared to his 2019 performances uh,
0: I would hope so I mean it's kind of cool to, to see how long they've been in the game and yeah they have like their ups and downs but I think across the board he's been just a super um, you know consistent athlete uh, that I think anything is really possible uh, he's a beast of a human being and it'd be it'd be cool to see him. Make uh make some turnaround and uh, come out with the title in the future.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's 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 always funny reading those comments where it's like, oh, he's falling off. It's like he's been in the game forever and he's a legend. He like he'll be he's still amazing at what he does.
0: Yeah, dude. And it's like any of the greats. Like people can say whatever they want, but across the board, like for what they do, is just absolutely amazing. And it's it's almost uh, you know unfathomable for you know anyone
1: to comprehend how strong these guys really are. Yeah, seriously. Across all the events too, it's unreal. Um, well, yeah. dude, I would love to hear a little bit more about your origin story and how you got into strength training, kind of owning a gym and building your business, especially the content that comes along with it. I think a lot of viewers would love to hear that story, and I'd love to hear your origin story.
0: Yeah, um, so I was born out of the womb at uh, six foot two, two hundred fifty pounds, and uh, <laughs> the rest is history, my man. Now, um. Now, uh, I guess it's kind of crazy because I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today, which is pretty cool. Um, looking back, you know, I thought I was going to go to college, get a degree. Uh, I wanted to go into like the FBI and do like criminal interrogation and kind of stuff like that. Um, but that is not where I'm at today. <laughs> uh, so I guess to dial it all the way back when I was younger, um, lived a normal life, I would say, uh, I was definitely not super athletic when I was younger, Um, and I lacked self-confidence a lot. So what I wanted to do is build my confidence and I tried different things and I really fell in love with martial arts actually when I was younger. And I think martial arts set me up for a good, uh, successful future with just being an athlete because it kind of just taught you, you know, just awareness of your body, um, being very flexible and mobile. Uh, and, um, from then I started playing sports as a kid, you know, typical soccer, whatever. Uh, but I drifted more towards the contact sports. So I ended up playing football, lacrosse, I wrestled. Um, but my, my main thing was always just trying to get better at whatever it was. Like, like I said, I wasn't really gifted with that ability and, um, you know, whatever you see now. So I had to work really hard towards it. Uh, but I really fell in love with the whole training with the weights for sport. I was always in the weight room, you know, people would always find me there. And and I kind of became that resource for all my friends. Like, Of, uh, you know, if they had any questions about the gym, they'd come to me just because I immersed myself so much in it. And um, I went to college originally for uh, criminal psychology. I went to a small private college and I played lacrosse there. And like I said, my goal was to probably join in something in that field, whether it was forensics or something, you know, uh, with crime and justice. Uh, But I kind of went through like a weird, period where I felt kind of lost. It was this really weird time for me and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was kind of questioning like just a lot of things. Uh, and I thought the best thing for me at the time to do would just come home from school, uh, go to community college for a little bit and kind of just try to see what I was interested in. And during that time I was offered a cool experience to kind of help, um, somewhat like a family friend, open a small, Uh, gym studio and that's kind of where I got my feet wet with personal training and and during that time I was training everybody under the sun you know I was training kids adults athletes -athletes, non-athletes older people who had lots of limitations and it was really a blessing in disguise because not only did I see a lot from the business end um, and not have to be really responsible for it, but just be a part of that whole journey of starting a gym and watching how businesses work and grow, what doesn't work, what does work. Uh, but it also helped me figure out what kind of clients uh, that I would like to deal with. And during that time, I just was really into anything that was strength related, um, and I was, you know, kind of pushed towards that end of the spectrum. Was getting people stronger. That was my passion. And that was probably a process of a few years of doing that. And uh, during that time, I had actually started my own little garage gym actually inside of my aunt and uncle's garage, uh, just kind of collecting gym equipment and and, uh, training out of the garage because at the time I was doing, I was building pools uh, as like my main source of income and I was doing the training on the side. So the garage gym was like my no excuses when I got home from work, I was going to just Get out of my car, get right to the garage, hit my training session, whether it was 30, 40 minutes, whatever I could get in, uh, just so I didn't have that excuse of like getting home, sitting on the couch, and kind of feeling like a bum. Um, so I did that for a while, and uh, it was kind of crazy. Cool story is uh, the garage gym grew, and I think I had over like 100 people at some point out of this two car garage training, and we're using you know, kegs and Atlas stones and tires and sledgehammers and and all sorts of cool odd objects along with the typical barbell stuff and things you would see in anybody's garage gym. Um, but that kind of just flourished. And then I really wanted to take the plunge to start my own training facility. And that was just a crazy process in and of itself. Um, but I got that done and, uh, throughout that whole thing, I was always competing, whether it was in CrossFit, uh, I was big in Olympic weightlifting for a while and, I uh, actually had a knee injury that kind of segued my interest into changing it up. And that's
1: when I got into man, probably about two and a half, three years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. Something you said in there actually caught my interest, and I know you've spoken about this before, is that... When you were building up your gym, one of your pieces of advice is really honing in on your niche audience that you want to work with Mm -hmm. and then building from there. So you had 100 people coming into your gym at one point. When did you kind of decide to narrow down that niche and so forth? Was it based on just your personal interest as strongman, or was it based off of kind of where you saw the business going and where you wanted to develop to?
0: Yeah, well, there's actually, well, there's two kind of Interesting points to that. And the first one I would have to say was definitely what I was interested in. And I was always drawn to strength training. Um that's always something I loved. And I just enjoyed it doing that. And I think, you know, if you're gonna be your own business owner or an entrepreneur of any any point, like there's something to be said with really enjoying what you do, um, and kind of trying to cut out or minimize a lot of stuff that you don't like to do, right? You're trying to work for yourself and there's a reason that you're an entrepreneur and you want to do what it is that you're trying to do um so for me like keeping that happiness uh was was doing the strength training and cutting out a lot of the stuff that I didn't like to do or just delegate it to someone else who enjoys that. So even at the gym now that I have, you know, we do run um, some quote unquote like boot camp classes or conditioning classes. Um, and I have some coaches that are really into that. And I think they do a way better job at it than I do. Um, so I let them take that and that's what makes them happy. So they get to do what they enjoy and I get to do what I enjoy, but it all works together uh, kind of under one umbrella. Um, but the interesting thing about the strong man is When I first opened the gym, uh, my current location, it'll be three years um, this year, is, you know, most like any business owner, I thought it was going to be hard, but I had no idea how hard it actually was going to be. And I thought people were just going to come flying through the doors. You know, I I thought I had the coolest equipment. We have these huge Atlas stones. We have yokes. We have farmer handles, kegs, like all these things that no other gym had. Um, And that just wasn't the case. (laughs) And it was kind of funny because I'm like, damn, like... You know how am I going to get this rolling? Um, But over time, it gradually started picking up. And I remember, I actually had a close friend who uh, was a very well accountant, like made a lot of money, and she quit her job and started traveling the world. And it it was very, she's a very inspirational person. But the cool thing is, is she she went to so many gyms all over the world. And when she came to my gym, uh, I just asked her. I said, "Hey, like, what's your feedback of this gym? You know, what do you think of it?" And I'll never forget this because she looked at me and she smiled and she was like, I believe your gym is ahead of its time. She's like, I don't think they're ready for this gym yet. And I was kind of like, hmm, like that really hit home with me. And it's just been super funny to see the evolution of strongman training because you have now strongman equipment in regular commercial gyms that you would have never thought you'd see this in. Um, you have, you know, huge influencers in the bodybuilding space, doing strongman exercises and movements. And that's just really helped push the movement of strongman, I believe, um, to a point now where since I stuck with it so long ago and had that, that uh, niche like you were talking about, I'm pretty much the only known strongman gym in my area. And that's kind of like what draws people uh, to my gym. And I've built that reputation. So it's, it's really worked, but I had to be very patient for it to get to where
1: it's at. Gotcha. That's really cool. Yeah. One of the latest articles I actually really enjoyed was like getting shredded with the sandbag which I think is really cool. I think that's an underutilized tool that, like you said, I think is making its way into commercial gyms way more often and it's finding way more use in general programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you mentioned that you got into strongman after like kind of rehabbing a knee injury earlier. What, yep. a, what about the sport physically like really just gets you going and like that you love the most? Cause everyone has a certain niche that they, or strength sport, I guess that they really connect with. So what like deep down connects you to strongman and do you have any idea of why that connection is there
0: yeah so for me like i said uh even psychologically or subconsciously when i first started training you know i was flipping tires i was using sledgehammers i was doing push-ups with chains around my neck Uh, and a big influence when i was younger were guys like elliot Hulse or zach evanesh and i always appreciated what they were doing because it was very like no bs you know, there's no excuses. You, you have so many things around you that you can use uh, to, for your own workout. Um, and you know, I, I was never like a fancy kind of guy. Like I, I like when things are sometimes gritty, and you know, you get down and dirty. Uh, so, from coming from an Olympic weightlifting background, which I would say uh, is quite the opposite of that. It's, you know, it's like almost like the prim and proper strength sport where you're trying to do a max lift or clean jerk and a snatch, and you have to be pretty much dead quiet like the crowd doesn't get hype maybe they give you a golf clap you can't slam the bar um was almost kind of like you know i had to keep my beast inside a little bit and uh with strongman it is very opposite uh people are getting nuts you know they're freaking out they're screaming for you i think the community is just absolutely amazing and it's fun you know it's interesting to watch and i think it's way more of a strength sport, but it's also entertainment. you know like you see these guys who are pulling planes or they're carrying fridges in each hand, like just like crazy things um, that make it entertaining, but it's also you know showing strength uh, in this sport, which is very cool. So for me, I, I really like that. And uh, also as a competitor, if you look at powerlifting or weightlifting, um, they're the same lifts over and over and over again, right? So if you're bench, squat, deadlift or whatever, uh, and then for Olympic lifting, clean and jerk and the snatch. Um, and then there's CrossFit, which is a mixture of everything. Um, but, you know, with Strawman, the events always change, which is pretty cool. So it's like CrossFit in that aspect, but it's always going to stay typically under 60 seconds. Where CrossFit, you may run a marathon at some point. You don't know what you're going to do. Uh, and And I'm not like, that's not my thing. I'll do it if I have to, but you know, I was way more on the strength side of it. So for me, strongman was kind of like the perfect sport that fit everything that I was into, um, what made me happy and what I enjoyed. So it, it was kind of like a no brainer. And once I started, I was hooked. Gotcha. What was your knee injury earlier
1: in your career? You mentioned.
0: Uh, yeah, so I had a, uh, torn my meniscus. Um, and I think it was a partial tear, uh, and my MCL, uh, or PCL. I, I forget, but uh, that had happened during, well, I'm sure it happened prior, but what kind of was the ending uh, of that was at a, uh, weightlifting meet. I went for my second, uh, clean and jerk attempt and I really just felt kind of, you know, that typical when they say they feel that pop or whatever in their knee. Um, and my adrenaline was super high, so I probably shouldn't have took a third attempt, but I was like, you know, we're doing it and I did it. And then I remember I couldn't walk for a few days and that's when I went to the ortho. Uh, and I had my knee surgery, uh, and that was probably my first, um, you know, more bigger injuries that kind of made me really have to think about my training. You know, how am I going to work around my training? What am I going to do? Uh, and I basically rehab myself throughout that process. Um, but I think at the same time, I wanted to change it up. I was getting a little bit tired from um, Olympic weightlifting, and it was a little bit too monotonous for me. And I was also training a lot by myself and, uh, you know, getting into the strongman was interesting because I was actually watching YouTube videos, uh, which is funny because that's how uh, I guess a lot of people know who I am. Um, but I was looking at ways to build strongman equipment for my garage gym and then the gym that I was about to open at the time. And this guy, Brian Allsru, had a bunch of videos that I was watching. And when I was looking at his channel, and I think at the time it was maybe like thirty or 40,000 subscribers, uh, he was based out of Maryland. And I thought this guy was just an absolute beast for how much weight he was putting up and how athletic he was, and I could really relate to him because I like to be athletic and obviously he's very strong. Uh, so I sent him a message and I said, "Hey man, you know um, I, I just watched you on YouTube. You're about two hours from me. Is there any way I can come out and train at your place?" Uh, so by the time I went to train at his place, his YouTube channel had actually exploded, and I think he had uh, around like almost a hundred thousand subscribers, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but anyway, we trained together. And we really hit it off, and he taught me a lot of the basics of strongman and, and the moves, and I got to use that equipment, um, and then you know get more into it myself, and kind of take what he had taught me and just expand upon that down the road. Uh, but that's kind of initially from that knee injury, rethinking the whole process of what I was doing and what made me happy and what I want to get into,
1: uh, to to where we're kind of got it going, man. That's pretty crazy that you injured your knee and shifted from weightlifting to strongman, which. I feel like to most people would even say it's even like a little bit more harsh on the body. So I guess where my head's at, my question is, is when you were self-rehabbing and going through that rehab process, how did you scale movements and adjust training to accommodate for coming back from that knee surgery?
0: Yeah. So intuitively, um, you know, I guess I wasn't really thinking about too much back then, or I didn't know obviously what I know now about, uh, you know, pain and injury, uh, But to keep it simple, I just avoided anything that caused me a lot of pain and discomfort and just kept trying different things that I could do that didn't cause pain. And to be honest with you, the process, it it healed relatively quickly. It was a lot faster than I thought. Um, But I'm also the kind of guy where it's like, you know, I I don't like taking no for an answer. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do my best to get it done and kind of, you know, prove myself wrong or other people who told me something. So, you know, I'd sit there and I would, try squats. And I knew I couldn't get below parallel, but I knew I could do a box squat. So I would just do box squats where, you know, if I could do a lunge and that didn't bother it, I would do lunges until the point where the pain just dissipated. Um, then I didn't feel it any longer. Um, but when I got into the strongman stuff, I would say my knee was pretty much ready to rock and roll at that point. Uh, and it wasn't a, a, you know, a big concern. I just think that was the point in where I was like, you know, just an interesting time where I was like, okay, you know, I, I'm sitting here at home, you know, I have a lot of downtime, uh, you know what? Like what? What am I? What am I want to do moving forward? And I think times like that pop up for everybody at different points in their life, and it kind of just helps them reflect on themselves or uh,
1: where they want to move forward with, or and where they're currently at. I love that. I love that whole shift of mindset too, and how you turn that into something much more than how most people, I feel like, view it. Um, cool, man. Well, I want to shift gears and ask you a couple questions about building effective training programs. It's something that I think you do extremely well, especially in a lot of the content, and I think. Something that separates you from others is that you produce content that provides a why but then also a how, giving people steps for effectively training better or doing something a little bit better. And a topic Mm -hmm. that I would love to ask you about is across all strength sports, across all training disciplines, what are a couple things that every great program has in common? I mean, obviously we all have goals and a program should be structured on goals, but what do you feel like great programs all kind of consist of that all, every program kind of needs?
0: Yeah, so the the thing with programming is uh, I always think people want these really complicated answers. And I try to keep things as simple as possible. And I think that either makes people really like me or not like me because I'm not super, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I'm not like super, uh, what should I say, um, you know, all about one thing because I, I see there's so many different ways to skin the cat. But I think kind of like you had said, one of the biggest things with great programming is that it has some sort of structure to get them to their goals. And you know, it, it, if it's doing that, then I think it's fine. You know, I can't sit here and say oh this is a good or bad program if you're getting closer to your goal. And I would say yeah, like that that to me is effective. You know, are there maybe some tweaks you can make? Yeah, sure. Um, but I think it depends on the goal and having that structure. And if they're they're doing that, I think it's a good program. Um, you know, there's a lot of nuance that can be put in, I'm sure we'll get into it more with programming, but at the the base of it, I just think if if my client has this goal and the program that they're doing is getting them closer to that goal, I'm fine with that. Um, and there are some issues that we can get into, which I'm sure you'll ask in a little bit, but that's that's the base and probably the easiest effective answer I could give you for that.
1: I love it. And that kind of segues perfectly into my next question is for, let's say, the more beginning or beginner lifter, where do you think mm-hmm. most get lost in the weeds on? Because I love that you keep things simple. I think that's a great approach for most training programs for a lot of folks. And yeah, my question for you is, what what do most beginners focus on but really shouldn't? And what should they focus on instead?
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways to go about this. I think one of the main things is that um, they want to, to happen as soon as possible to get to the goal. And you have to understand that it's going to take a lot of time and that just comes with training and more wisdom on the fact that, you know, I had a kid in today, uh, who he's younger. He's, I think he's like 15 or 16, you know? And he's like, man, he's like, uh, like a month ago I could squat 300 pounds. And my squat today was at two seventy five. and I looked at him and you know, he'd look devastated. Like he is just like, what, like, what is wrong? Like, can you help me? And I was like, brother, I was like, there are days when I come in and I can squat 500 for 10 or 15. And then there are days when I can squat 500 for two, you know? And I just said, you got to understand that it's a journey and it's a process. Uh, and don't get caught, like you said, in the weeds with the numbers, but more just enjoying the process and the journey of it. Um, and, and and I would say to piggyback off of that is to keep it simple, you know, like we had talked about and, and you're were, you were agreeing with is the the basics to me have always worked Um, and I would always be skeptical of programming that has you doing a ton of crazy things, different things, and, and using all these big words or fancy implements or movements. Um, when, you know, uh, from being in as long as I have, which isn't that long, but i say I got at least 10 years of training under my belt. The basics are what got me to where I am today. Uh, and just being patient with the process and I probably wouldn't have added this, until recently, but I'd say just enjoying it too, like having fun. You know, there's something so big with just having fun with your training. Uh, and I realized that from being, you know, a a top level competitor that, you know, you can get caught up in the numbers and you can get, get caught up in the competition, but that's not why I got into this. And that's not why I think a lot of people get into it. They get into it for other reasons. Maybe it's their social outlet. Maybe it's, you know, their, their way that they meditate, um, or they express themselves. It maybe helps them build their confidence and I think it's easy to lose track of that when you start getting involved with lifting. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, and I think at, at times it's nice to, you know, root yourself back down and and just kind of remember like why did I get into this? Why did I get started? And uh, that's kind of something that that I've had a thing about recently. Um, if you want to be in for the long haul, you know, you you got to have other external motivators to do it than just simply oh I want to get a 500 pound squat. You know, because what happens when that day comes? Or what happens if that day never comes?
1: You know, I love that. I think that's a really cool point. And I think a lot of coaches who have been in the game for a while come to that realization and they share their thoughts on it. I would love to kind of pick your brain then on when you had that realization of kind of realigning your focus and realizing that you're in there for the long haul. How did you objectively realize that? And do you have any tips for anybody who... Might be getting frustrated with the acute kind of sense of I'm not getting there quick enough, or I'm not really happy with my training right now, or maybe even just feeling a little bit burnt out from training. How did you kind of go about that process?
0: Yeah, I think um, whenever I start to feel burnout, you know, I, I try to, like I said, mentally just sit down and, and think about what first got me into it. And it, like I said, it wasn't trying to take a national title you know, I wasn't trying to get a 700 pound deadlift. It was, I went to the gym because it just made me feel great, you know, and it, and it made me feel like, um, I was doing something to make myself better. And I just, you know, I get a high off of that, you know? So that helps now, if that's kind of, you know, isn't it, isn't enough. Uh, something I really like to do is just switch it up completely. So I think a lot of people do the same thing over and over and over again. And I've seen it time and time again at the the gym, um, where people identify with one type of, of lifter or strength sport, So they're like, I'm a power lifter, I'm a weightlifter, or I'm a strong man. And, um, they get stuck in that identity and they think that's all that they can do. Um, but then when that kind of, that time comes where they, where they get burnout, um, you know, it, it's a very awkward feeling. Like they feel insecure or they feel lost and I think one of the best things to do that is just try something else and kind of detach yourself from that identity. Realize like you're, you're everything. You're more than just a power lifter. You're, you can be a bodybuilder. You can uh, be a crossfitter. You can do barbell training. You can use dumbbells or kettlebells. Um, and for me, that's kind of a mental switch that I like to do where, you know, I, I've been trapped in that mindset where I thought I was a weightlifter and then I got into strongman, And then I thought, oh, since I'm a strongman, man, you know, people who thought I was a weightlifter will. Well, not like me, you know, and now I'm starting to do a little bit of weightlifting again, just because I enjoy it. So I think at the end of the day, you got to kind of just sit down, ask yourself, like, why, why did I get started? Why am I doing this? Um, and it's like, if, if I was, if I knew I was never going to hit these numbers, right. Or this is going to be my last day to ever PR my life. Would I still keep doing this? And I think that's a question a lot of people need to ask themselves. And if the answer is yes, well then, you got to figure out like, what is it that'll just keep you going, you know, and and that could just be, Hey, just switching it up for a little bit and trying something different. So, uh, that's kind of how I talk to the athletes who I deal with the burnout, um, you know, or just try to make them,
1: you know, realize why they originally got into it and, and get them back on the horse. I love that. And I guess with that shift of mindset, you end up learning different training disciplines, right. And kind of learning different ways to go about different processes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that uh, makes me, I would say, unique in the strength sport world is I'm very versatile where, you know, if you told me to go sign up for a cross the competition, I would do it or powerlifting strongman, I would do it. Uh, if you told me to go run a marathon, I would go do it. Um, and not saying that I would, you know, kill it by any means, but, I, but the thing is like, uh, you know, I would just do it for the process of who I'm becoming from trying to do that. Um, the knowledge you get, and it's tough because, you know, I think, like I said earlier, people want people or, or people want a coach to be very specific on one thing. And I would say mostly, you know, for me, a strength training and strongman. Um, but at the same time I have many heads to the beast, um, which I think overall helps me, uh, see how things relate, understand the athletes more. Um, and just makes me a, a, a more well-rounded coach and athlete, which I would I'll say for everybody to take a lot of time to try to do that the best they can, um, because I think long-term it's going to make you better at your craft, and if a co- as a coach, if you want to be a coach,
1: yeah, I I, I love that. It almost sounds like you're intuitively doing like an in-season and off-season kind of shift. You're when you're in-season, you're very heavily invested into your original niches, things you're really good at, things you like to compete in, but when you're in the off season, you like to do different things. So question there for you is for athletes that you work with who are vested into one strength sport, how do you go Mm -hmm. about um, with the in season and off season training? And how long do you kind of structure off season? Like, do you implement more things like you're talking about of different ways to train to expose people to different skill sets and different mindsets and so forth? And how do you go about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like you said, I do it for myself. Um, Like right now, technically, I'm in an off-season. I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I do a lot more Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu right now. Uh, And then once I get closer to bigger competitions, I go like maybe once or twice a week uh, to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But I'm doing very specialized training for my competition. So the same thing would be for the athletes that I deal with. I just had a bunch of athletes who came off of uh, a long prep, say, you know, anywhere from 20, 16 to 20 weeks for a strongman competition that they really wanted to dial in on. Um, And just like I'm sure you know about and the are the listeners of this, it's just kind of the rule of specificity. So the farther we are out, the less specific we will be um, from whatever the competition or contest is going to be. And as we get closer, we really dial it in specifically to what the, the test will be. Uh, so, So since they just got done their competition for the next, you know, let's say two months, they're going to be doing a ton of GPP. They're going to be doing a ton of different movements that they've never done before, uh, just to mentally help them physically help them. And kind of like you were, we were talking about building that base, um, just a just a well-rounded foundation. Uh, and then as we get closer to whatever they want to get better at, we'll, we'll change the training accordingly. So that's kind of how I handle all of my athletes, um, but even for myself, like there was a time, I think after nationals where I was just doing basically like hypertrophy and, and some bodybuilding, um, you know, a fair amount of conditioning that I, I haven't done in a long time, uh, just to, you know, give me something new to try and help me mentally. And then physically, it's just, it's completely different. So it's a new stimulus and uh, my body's not used to it so that when I do get back into, you know, the, the strongman stuff, it's, it's only going to help benefit me. And I'm also getting a break from it. So you're kind of giving that
1: that stress back to the body. I love that. Um, something that I remember you said in the Q&A with Alan and Omar was when you were talking about compounds and accessories. And obviously, correct me if I'm wrong here, but something you would said was when you started working with Alan a little bit more closely, more of as a coach, you stopped focusing so much on the accessories but started dialing in on compound movements a little bit more. And I feel like talking about off-season, in-season and the principle of specificity kind of segues perfectly into this. So, yeah, I would love for you just to elaborate a little bit more on what you meant by you started really focusing a lot more on the compound movements or the big lifts that you were really trying to focus on and stop worrying so much about the accessory movements each workout.
0: Yeah. So interesting story about me. So with strongman, uh, if you're in strongman or you want to get in strongman, you have to have uh, a fairly decent press and a rather large deadlift. And when I got into strongman, um, my was was decent because I knew how to do split jerks and push jerks. So I could put more weight over my head. And in strongman, most people either strict press or push press. So I was at a technical advantage in that but my deadlift was garbage. Like it was trash. Um, and I, and the reason honestly was just cause I didn't deadlift enough and I spent a lot of time, you know, doing all these smaller accessory movements and maybe I deadlifted once. And then the rest of my time was designated to doing something like rows, uh, you know, or something for my hamstrings, etc. cetera. And, uh, it wasn't until I actually had hired, uh, Alan to be my coach, um, where I remember he first sent me the program that we were going to do. And it was like three or four movements for the whole session. And I was used to doing like 10 to 12 movements, a workout on top of that, a ton of conditioning. Like I'm, I'm very confident to say that I was well over conditioned as a strong man. <laughs> um, and, um, when I looked at this, I was kind of like a little concerned, like, okay, like, you know, deadlift, uh, all right. And then it was like, press and then maybe a, uh, you know, a bench or something like that. And he's like, dude, just, just give it a shot. Like, I think what we really need to do is put more work into deadlifting. If you're trying to get your deadlift up and less work on the accessories. And I was a little resistant to it at first. Um, but then, you know, over time I realized that if you want to get better at something, you need to put more focus into that than anything else. Um, so when I looked at like total volume I was doing for deadlifts, it was so small compared to what it, what it went to after that. Um, and that's kind of just how I am today when it comes to getting specific for say, you know, your bench squat deadlift or something with strong man, you have to practice that and the variations closest to it. So not to say that there's not a place or a time and place for variation. Um, but when you do variations, you want it to closely mimic that main movement. So instead of doing, Um, you know, a ton of just direct hamstring work or isolation work on my hamstrings, you know, I'm going to do different variations of the deadlift. So you have your deadlift on one day and then the next day doing something like pause deadlifts or something like a block pull or maybe something, uh, with bands and chains, but we're still doing the deadlift. So just training that movement more, um, is kind of my basic tip for just getting better at it. And I know it's not a fancy answer and a lot of people are resistant to it, but, it's taken my deadlift from 500 to 750 pounds. So I think there's some proof to the pudding in
1: in that. Dude, I love that. And quite honestly, that sets us perfectly up for the next topic I kind of want to dive into. And so we've never really done this on a podcast. And I think it'd be very interesting to see how this actually works. So listeners, if this doesn't work that well, I'm incredibly sorry. I'm trying something new here. But long story short, man, is... If you want to get great at something, you have to do it often. And mm-hmm. personally, I think you have one of the better coaching minds in the industry when it comes to seeing everything from a whole, as opposed to just dialing in on one thing. So I would love to kind of build a mock leg focus or squat focus program with you, and kind of just pick your brain <laughs> uh, on like the why and stuff like that while we're on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, sure. So let's say I'm sure. a let's say I'm a client coming to you. I'm a recreational lifter. My Lifts are pretty good. You'd classify me as intermediate. I want to say I really want to focus on my squat and increase it. What would be Mm -hmm. kind of the frequency you would start working with and the why behind that?
0: So, um, if I knew you were squatting once a week and you were okay with that frequency or dose of once a week, I'd probably bump you to twice a week, you know, and then just kind of monitor and see how we were doing. Um, you know, as long as things are okay and we're managing the fatigue and you're giving me feedback, uh, I would probably, you know, keep it there for a little while and then bump it up to three times per week. So, you know, if, if looking back on myself, I used to do every main movement one time per week and what the research is showing, and this is stuff through, uh, you know, Mike Isertel and, and all the Stronger by Science guys is, you know, typically the the more we can increase the frequency, Uh, It's looking like we're getting some better results. Um, So I would say anywhere from that one to three range, you know, I would say more than once a week is what I would recommend and have them do. Uh, But it would be, you know, a slow and steady progress to what they could handle. Uh, And typically, obviously, when people increase their frequency, you know, they're going to have soreness, you know, uh, but that what I've seen with the clients I deal with, even myself, after a couple of weeks, that tends to go away. And and I wouldn't measure your progress uh, with your training by how sore you are. You know, the, like for for what I do, honestly, like I don't really get that sore that often unless it's something new or like a novel stimulus um, that I'm giving my body. So you know, for you to constantly want to be sore, I, I don't think that's a great way to gauge it. Um, and I think if you increase the frequency, that soreness will subside, and you'll be able to handle that as your body adapts to it. Um, but the higher the frequency, the more we can stress the the muscle or the movement and cause the strength adaptation
1: over time. Got it. So you you wrote me a program. We're increasing my squat frequency. We're modifying yep. my intensity so I don't get too fatigued or burnt out. What are some yep. of the variations that you would include on those two to three days of squatting?
0: Yeah, so also depends. Um, but typically what I would do is if, say, you are – Uh, Just looking to increase the squat, say we're training three to four days a week, the first day of the week uh, would be your competition squat day. So if you're a power lifter, this is going to be your comp squat, meaning you're aware whatever you would for your competition. So typically it's going to be wrist wraps, belt, um, knee sleeves or knee wraps, whatever, but you're going to be as geared up as possible because that's going to be the day that you're going to push the hardest on that main movement. So that'll be on day one. Now the second day, so this could be day two or day three, I like to do a variation of the main movement, um, typically like on a weak point. So this could be a pin squat. Maybe say, you know, you're, you're having trouble getting, um, out of the top of the, or or coming up on the way up. We put the pins wherever you're kind of in that, that weak point. Now, the interesting thing about this is you're not going to be allowed to wear a belt, um, wrist wraps and I'll give them the option to wear knee sleeves or not, but this is automatically going to regulate the intensity, um, which is nice because what I like to track is stress over the long haul. Not so much, um, you know, I'm not really looking at, at the weights obviously, but I want to see like the stress that we're doing and slowly trying to get you as close to your, your, um, your maximal cover volume, but above the, you know, the minimal effective volume. So kind of just right in that, that right dose of stress level is where I want to keep the athlete. Um, so finding that taking away the belt will, will help do that and still let them train. Uh, so that'd be the second day. And then on the third day, I probably would give them some sort of tempo squat or maybe something like a split squat, like a dumbbell split squat. So that's kind of how I would do it. And the reason for the tempo squat is it's going to help with technique. So three count down three count up, um, for however many reps we're doing. Um, and it's also going to regulate the weight because you're not going to be able to go as heavy if you have to do a you know, six count total for each rep um, while we're still getting more volume in and increasing the frequency. So that would be kind of like what I would have them doing if they're doing three days a week, just as an example.
1: Oh, I love that. That's, that gives a lot of great feedback. And in terms of tempo training, personally, I love it too for regulating intensities, especially for clients who might have form that they want to improve on or just improve on the skill. Outside of just improving the skill, how else do you like to use tempo training? Is it always just based on skill acquisition, or do you have other reasons you like to include tempo as well? Uh, So for myself, one of the things uh, that I've come into, uh,
0: you know, a roadblock with has been tendonitis or tendinopathy. Uh, So when I feel, say, I'm getting some knee tendonitis, um, and I need to reduce the, the weight on the bar, uh, I'll do tempo squats, you know, with as much weight as I can handle. Uh, and that's still letting me squat, you know, and it's, and it's reducing the weight. And I think it's, you know, letting my knees heal at the same time. So I would say for someone who's maybe experiencing some sort of, um, knee pain while squatting, um, you're probably going to want to try some tempo squats and you can do those without a belt. You can take your knee sleeves off, so it's going to reduce the weight on the bar. Uh, It's still going to keep you squatting, focusing on your form and technique, and giving your knees a little bit of a break uh, to help recover at the same time. So I would say everything else that you said on top of if they're dealing with any sort of knee
1: knee pain or injury. Do you ever use Tempo for hypertrophy work?
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, If you want to get those quads, quads burning, man, that's a great way to do it. Uh, so tempo work for sure. Like in in a lot of my hypertrophy blocks, I have them doing tempo work for, you know, any of the movements, honestly. Um, but that's just a great way to get time under tension
1: and, uh, you know, get, get a good stress stimulus going. I love it. So we're squatting three times a week. You have me doing my comp squat. I'm beltless squatting with a variation based off of, where I might be lagging a little bit more. And then we're doing a third day with another variation. How long would I perform this for? Do we have a goal in mind or do you like to set a goal in mind when it comes to like, let's say a number? Is it based off of kind of the client's feedback for their fatigue levels or where they want to go next? How do you usually or generally structure this? And I know it varies a lot depending on obviously what the client or athlete wants to achieve, but how would you structure the length of a very hyper focused program like this?
0: Yeah. Uh, do you mean the squat specifically? Like if we're yeah. just looking at
1: their squat? Yeah. So if we're doing like a squat program three times a week, generally how long would this block or group of mezzocycles be? be?
0: Uh, I mean, it all depends. See, I'm a big fan of we we run it until it no longer works. Gotcha. <laughs> I know that's a simple answer. Um, but at the same time, as like if you just kept riding this out and you were trending really well and you're like, man, I'm feeling great, you know, we'd keep going. Um, so it all depends on the athlete. And I've had athletes who four weeks is too much. And then I've had athletes who I can run it for six weeks. And it's very interesting because, you know, like there really isn't a cut and dry way to, to do it for each athlete, but just a general rule and thumb, I'd say anywhere from six to 12 weeks, you know, I know it's kind of vague. Um, but if you wanted to give it a shot and you say for the next six to 12 weeks, I'm really going to work on my squat. I think that's enough time to get some, um, you know, conclusive data on what you tried. You know, if you try it for a week or two, or, or maybe even three weeks, I think it's tough to gauge. Um, and I think you need to give it enough time to really have some data to be like, okay, you know, I've, I've done this. I'm noticing that, you know, my squat's feeling better or, or whatever, or you, you're going to have that test and you did get some sort of um, you know, new strength stimulus, then that's good. Or, or if not, like, what are we going to change? But I think like we're kind of going back to our original point. I think so many people want it so fast that they don't give things enough time, uh, to actually get the result. And they, they change their mind so quickly, um, when you got to be patient with it. So I can't give you an exact definite timeframe. Um, but I'd say anywhere from that, you know, six to 12 week range, uh, would be enough to actually get some conclusive evidence
1: on how things are going. I love that, man. I think that your points are all so great because there really isn't a one-size-fits-all. So when it comes to talking about these topics, that's always something that's really tough to navigate and get across. So I love that you kind of gave that larger range of dates. So I guess my question for you then is, all right, so I'm giving it 6 to 12 weeks. Do you have any tips for judging when that trend line starts to go down and when it might be time to change? Because let's say we're on the mindset of keeping it simple. We're going to run this until it obviously doesn't Mm -hmm. work anymore. What do you as a coach really look for? I mean, obviously, if the lifts are going down or if the stress is high, but is there anything that somebody can do on their own if they're deciding to do this that they can objectively ask and be like, hey, whoa, like these two weeks, I've seen a big trend down. I should change things up or kind of how do you navigate that when you are training on your own and you might not have a coach to give you feedback?
0: Yeah. So, um, typically, you know, we're all going to have off weeks off days. Uh, the way I program is using RPE. So rate of perceived exertion, uh, as well as percents. Um, but I really like RPE training, uh, because of the, it's, you know, it's to that day, that given day of how you're feeling. And I think often at times when we use percent based programming, which does have its time and place. Um, but you know, for myself, I could come in and the program says we got to do five reps at 85%, but I didn't sleep at all the other night before. Um, Everything's been crazy because of the holidays. So I didn't eat that much. And that five at 85 feels like 95%. Well, technically that's not the accurate training stimulus that I needed uh, for that day. So I'm actually going off program where with RPE, right? We have that set number. Um, which is dependent on that day. And that's an accurate stimulus giving the circumstances that we are under for that day. And then say we wanted to do some back offsets. We take our percentage from our working set of that day and it's very accurate to the same stress that we need. So that's been a huge help. Um, just in general, I know it's a little bit of a side note, but it'll help kind of when I explain the answer to your question. So I do like using the RPE based training for myself. Um, But when I start to see myself downward trending, you know, I notice that my mood's pretty bad. Uh, Obviously, the weights are going down. You know, my motivation for training is pretty low. Uh, So at that point, uh, what I would do is the low stress week. And I've made YouTube videos about this. And I know some other people like Mike Tushir, the Barbell Medicine crew, Alan Thrall, they put out videos about low stress weeks. Um, But I absolutely love a low stress week. And what this is, is it's sort of, Uh, the equivalent to what people call a deload week. However, when most people deload, they drop the intensity super low or they take a complete week off. Um, So the opposite is kind of what I do. I actually keep the intensity very high, but the volume drops. So typically when people are feeling that burnout um, or their body's just kind of feeling pretty crappy from training, it's because they are not recovering from that volume. So if we decrease the volume, right, we're letting our body recover But we're also still training at a higher intensity uh, because that's not what's fatiguing us, right? Like most of the time doing heavy singles or doubles or some triples isn't going to make you crazy sore or run you into the ground. Um, What would do that is going to be lots and lots of volume. So by doing that low stress week, okay, we're still working the skill uh, because I I think if you have the option to train while you're recovering or not train at all, uh, I'm going to go with the training option, which is what the low stress week lets us do. So when I feel that way, or my clients feel that way, um, I'll throw them the low stress week. And that's even how I structure my programs. Um, I kind of give them a low stress week, say on the fourth or fifth week, maybe uh, just that it says it there. And even mentally, they can kind of know it's there, but there are times when I got to adjust that low stress week, or I can also push it off because I have a client who says to me, dude, I'm feeling great. We're, we have a low stress week next week, but I'm, I'm feeling really good. I'm like, okay, well like, let's just keep on with the program. And their low stress week say comes in at, at week six. Um, so kind of like we said before, it's athlete dependent, but when that situation does come, I think a low stress week is a great way to still train
1: and recover, um, throughout that process. Gotcha. Do you ever see instances where you do a low stress week, but you're still feeling a little bit burnt after that week?
0: Um, t- for me, typically not. Um, it for me, like if I take I don't know anywhere from three or four days of kind of a low stress week or dialing it back, I'm kind of itching by then to get back into the gym. Um, for people that do feel that way, uh, throw in another low stress week. It's kind of just a simple rule of thumb if you want to just try a low stress week again um or if it's more of a burnout thing just change the movements for that block to maybe give you something to make you more compliant to the program or a little bit more
1: excited gotcha man i love that answer and i love that we kind of just talked through what a what a higher squat focused workout program would look like and be man i appreciate all the answers there so before, yeah, yeah, sure. before we wrap up our chat, I do have some more, let's call them rapid fire questions for you before we head yeah. out. Um, first question, if you're ready, is if you could train with anybody, alive or dead, who would it be and why?
0: Oh, dude, that is, that is so tough. <laughs> That's a loaded um, one. Yeah, dude. Uh, it's going to be a, like a lame answer. But I think, honestly, all the people that I've trained with, I would love to just have a big party and train with us all together. Cause I've, I have some really awesome people that I've, you know, crossed the path with, but some people I haven't trained with that I really want to. And, and I'm supposed to in the future would be like Steffi Cohen and her crew. Um, Bryce Krawcheck from Calgary barbell, him and I talk a lot, but I just would be super pumped to uh, train with him. And, uh, I think like Mike is actually I do jujitsu where he does jujitsu, which, which we've, we've never trained together. Uh, like in the gym. So I wanted to do that. Um, But yeah, man, I I don't really have like a specific one person that comes to mind. I train my grandma. Um, I think my grandma's pretty badass. So I'd like to train with her. She lives in South Carolina, Um, but uh,
1: she's kick ass. So maybe I'll hang out with her. That's amazing. All right. Next one. And I'm not sure how you're going to actually handle this one, but would you rather win an Olympic gold medal in weightlifting or four consecutive world strongest man titles?
0: Yeah, I uh I think I'm gonna have to go with an Olympic gold on this one. Interesting. I think uh yeah, I think the Olympic gold is like I, I mean it is just so known. Like if you got an Olympic like that's crazy. That is crazy. And I, I'm not to say that four consecutive world strongest man titles aren't crazy, but I think like in history, like historically, the Olympics are just so massive that having a
1: gold medal around your neck from the Olympics would just be whew, that'd be cool. That's true. I, th- I thought that one might trip you up a little bit, but you answered it. You answered it perfectly. Never mind then. All right, favorite. Yeah, well, well they're, they're
0: kind of tied, but I think I think just the history with the Olympics to me is probably what sold me. But other than that, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's tough. It's really tough. Um. All right. What is your favorite Guilty Pleasure training song? So a song that you love to listen to maybe when you're training alone that others might look at you and kind of scratch their heads with. Do you have any?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I got a good one, I think. Um, I really like uh, Highway to the Danger Zone nice. uh, from Top Gun. So, yeah, if no one's in the gym and
1: I'm trying to get hype and be a goofball, I'll throw that on and uh, try to lift some weights. That's amazing. Final question for you before we end our chat is: Who has been the most influential person in the strength and conditioning world in your career thus far? Oh, dude! I'm I think he's one. i hitting... one person. All right. What about two or three then? Can you can you come up with two or three that have like just helped kind of shape how you are as a coach and how you view your business and so forth?
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, I would say like Elliot Holtz and Zach Evanish were really like the founding fathers to what got me started, um, with Strawman um, Brian Alzer really kicked it off for me and that led me to Alan Thrall. Um, and I have to say like those guys, uh, have really helped influence me as a coach, my knowledge, um, my business
1: and, uh, yeah, those are great guys. That's amazing. Well, before we head out, would you mind sharing where folks can find you and follow you and learn from you? Yeah, you can check me out on Instagram. My Instagram is ZatStrength.
0: The gym's Instagram is Lion's Den Elite Training. Um, I have a website, ZatStrength.net, and the YouTube channel, ZatStrength. So that is where you can find anything and all my content.
1: And listeners, as always, we will link everything down below that was just mentioned. Joey, thank you so much for the time, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome.